Hello, I'm Sofia, and welcome to What We Need to Know About Ukraine. Here, I learn about Ukrainian history, literature, and culture, and share my findings with you. Today's episode is about the turbulent history of the Ukrainian language, and the many attempts at its linguistic genocide. During the 400 years of occupation of Ukrainian lands by the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union, the use of Ukrainian was banned 134 times by the government of Moscow. It also banned the Ukrainian church, printing of Ukrainian books, traditional songs, schools and universities in Ukrainian, as well as theaters and libraries. Religious books in Ukrainian were confiscated, and Ukrainian cultural activities were declared to be harmful. And before we begin talking about the linguistic genocide, let's quickly talk about the origins of the Ukrainian language. For example, what language did they speak in the Kyivan Rus? Well, before adopting Christianity, they spoke the language spoken in Kyiv called Ruthenian. But with the adoption of Christianity, they gradually integrated all Church Slavonic, which came from Greece. Meanwhile, modern Ukrainian developed in Kyiv and other areas around that. So, what is linguistic genocide? By definition, it is any deliberate act committed with intent to destroy the language, religion, or culture of a national, racial, or religious group on grounds of national or racial origin or religious belief, such as 1. Prohibiting the use of the language of the group in daily intercourse or in schools, or the printing and circulation of publications in the language of the group and 2. Destroying or preventing the use of libraries, museums, schools, historical monuments, places of worship, or other cultural institutions and objects of the group. And all of these have been done to Ukrainian throughout the years and are still done today, in fact. The Russians, in particular, banned and are attempted to ban the use of Ukrainian in different ways and different aspects of it, then and now. Overall, like I said, there were 134 of these attempts. So let's look at some of the main ones. And we're going to start in the 1600s. One of the first bans of the Ukrainian language was in 1627, and that is 100 years before the creation of the Russian Empire. There was a decree at the request of the Moscow Patriarch, who is a head of church, to seize and burn at the stake all copies of the teacher's gospel and other Christian writing printed in Ukraine on charges of heresy. And why heresy? The assessment of this work was entrusted to two Moscow scribes, and not knowing the language in which it was written, they found heretical meaning where there were grammatical peculiarities and the meaning of words that were incomprehensible to them. Because it was not written in Russian, it was written in Ukrainian. We must remember that this is at the time that Ukraine is in the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, in which Ukraine was an equal. This is important to note because many of these things are going to be directed at Ukrainian, not only from the Moscow side, but also from the Polish side or the Polish-Lithuanian side. And if you want to know more about this, you can listen to my episode called Ukraine, Country of the Cossacks, where I talk about Ukraine being part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Well, soon after this incident, the Polish king orders for all documents to be printed only in Polish and Latin, which made all Ukrainian no longer the official state language. 
In 1690, the Moscow church decided to prohibit the Ukrainian church to print any books whatsoever without Moscow's permission. Six years after that, the Polish state said that the scribe must write in Polish, not in Ukrainian, which means that Polish is now the only language used in court and other government institutions of Ukraine. In 1709, Peter I of Moscow orders the number of students in the Kyiv Mohyla Academy, which is still working university in Kyiv, to be reduced from 2000 to 161. He also moves many of the thinkers and professors to Moscow. By this time, all Ukrainian books were banned from Moscow, and by 1720s, people were banned from writing books in Ukrainian altogether. All documents were now also in Russian. In 1775, schools in Ukrainian were shut down. A few years later, all universities were forced to teach in Russian, and all churches were to be run and to pray in Russian. In St. Petersburg, on the initiative of Catherine II, a comparative dictionary of all languages was published, in which the Ukrainian language is listed as Russian, distorted by Polish. This imperial myth will be repeated many times over the centuries. The next two centuries, which were the 19th and the 20th centuries, were particularly hard for the Ukrainian language. Throughout the two centuries of the Imperial Russian rule, officials did everything in their power to strengthen the Russian language in Ukraine and to suppress Ukrainian. Russification was held by the influx of colonists into the southern part of Ukraine and of workers into new industrial towns. In the 19th century, police becomes more active and censure even more so. The Ukrainian Dictionary, written in 1843, was only eventually published in 1966. There was increased brutal persecution of the Ukrainian language and culture. Moscow then prohibits the sale of Taras Shevchenko's Kobzar and the other writers who in their works touched on the topics of Ukrainian history. Shevchenko is a national bard of Ukraine, who is also a wonderful painter, and his Kobzar, which is a poetry collection, is translated into many languages, including English. Because of his poetry, he ended up working 10 years in labor camps, was in jail, and more, but he will get his own episode eventually. Such a blow to the utmost outstanding Ukrainian talent of that time actually meant a blow to the entire Ukrainian literature, language, and art, the development of which were significantly hampered by the impossibility of full participation in the literary and artistic processes, especially when literary and artistic giants are getting jailed. And now, listen to this quote. And henceforth, think and feel in Russian, because only in this way, the future members of society will form one big family with the same thoughts, with the same will, with the same feeling. Sounds very dystopian, doesn't it? Well, these are the words said by the National Minister of Education in Moscow in 1847, when he was forcing Kyiv universities to teach Russian language, Russian literature, and Russian history. The Ukrainians, under the Austro-Hungarian rule, did not have it easy, either, when there were attempts to change the Ukrainian alphabet from the Cyrillic to the Latin. Obviously, they did not work. As we can see, before this, Ukrainian books and education were banned, but never speaking Ukrainian language, never the denial of its existence, at least on a large scale. 
That was until 1863, a Novoluev circular. With it, the Russian Empire banned the language itself, stating that the tongue used by the commoners in Ukraine is nothing but Russian corrupted by the influence of Poland. A separate little Russian language, never existent, does not exist, and shall not exist. Little Russian is what Russians called Ukrainian and Ukrainians then and sometimes now. It is a derogatory term, so I do not recommend you using it. So Ukrainian book printing was completely banned from um, educational literature, scientific publications, to periodicals. An exemption was made only for works of fiction, which were strictly censored. As a result, only 20 Ukrainian books were published during the next seven years. There were different ideas as to how to make sure Ukrainians do not publish or read their own books in Ukrainian and about Ukraine. One was to, quote, flood the region to the extreme with cheap Russian books, which would leave Ukrainian literature without any chance to significantly expand the circle of readers, end quote. The approving resolution did not take long. The head of state said, quote, The thought is very good. Figure out how to fulfill it. The next big step in limiting Ukrainian was the Ems Decree, which was signed in 1876 and became kind of a continuation and expansion of the Voluev Circular. The decree prohibited, one, importing books and brochures in the Ukrainian language into the territory of the Russian Empire, which the majority of Ukraine was in the Russian Empire, two, to publish original works and translations in Ukrainian without the permission of the censor, except for the historical documents and monuments, with the original spelling preserved, and works of fiction, but not in Ukrainian spelling, and only in accordance with the generally accepted Russian spelling. And three, theatrical performances and readings in Ukrainian, as well as printing Ukrainian texts for sheet music. The ban on printing texts for sheet music in Ukrainian led to the emergence of a number of absurd situations. Because of these bans, the well-known student choir of St. Volodymyrsna University was forced to perform the Ukrainian folk song Rain, Rain, Drops a Little in French in Kyiv. Olena Pchilka, a famous Ukrainian author, had to sign her collection of samples of Ukrainian embroidery, also in French. Olena's daughter, Lesia Ukrainka, who is even more well-known than her mother in the literary sphere, had to smuggle her texts abroad into the Austro-Hungarian Empire, where she would publish them and smuggle them back. She also wrote a lot in French, German, and other languages. Later, the Ems Decree was supplemented with new prohibitions on the publication of historical books, etc., and was in effect for almost 30 years and then became invalid, after 1905. But if you've listened to my episode about the executed renaissance, you know the ability to live with the Ukrainian language was not for long. In 1914, Ukrainian press, books, etc. were prohibited once again. With the arrival of the Soviet Union, a new Russian propaganda emerged. The theory of the struggle of two cultures in Ukraine, urban progressive proletarian Russia and the peasant, counter-revolutionary and backward Ukrainian, in which the former must win and the task of the communist is to support this natural process. This is happening during the first wave of the Holodomor, the genocide of Ukrainians. 
Later on, Ukrainian language schools and universities were liquidated. People were shunned and even killed for speaking Ukrainian. Ukrainian was once again talked of as a distorted Russian language. In 1933, the letter G was removed from the Ukrainian alphabet. Russian does not have that letter, although it's not the only one that Russian doesn't have. And so the Soviet government banned the use of the letter in the Ukrainian language and in general because they were scared this letter would remove Ukrainians from Russians and closer to the West. Some Ukrainian poets and authors tried to return this letter to the alphabet, but with no luck. And only in 1990 was the letter G no longer banned, and we still use it to this day. This was all happening during the executed renaissance period, which was the murder, arrests, and exile of the Ukrainian intelligentsia, meaning authors, musicians, and artists, as well as the main second wave of the Holodomor, which deliberately killed millions of Ukrainians. You can find out more about the Holodomor in my episode called Holodomor, Genocide of the Ukrainian People. In the 1970s, Ukrainians were prohibited from celebrating their literature and authors on 100 years since publication anniversaries, for example. And it would seem that after 1991, when Ukraine gets independence, these infringements, these linguistic genocidal acts would stop. But no. In 2014, since the beginning of the occupation of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions in the Crimean Peninsula, the Ukrainian language, literature, and history of Ukraine as subjects of study have been removed from school programs by the occupiers and replaced by the Russian ones with the appropriate ideological content to the Russians. Ukrainian textbooks and fictions are physically destroyed and teachers are forced to switch to Russian educational standards, language programs, and textbooks. All references to Ukraine are removed, even the word Ukrainian itself. Yes, people there cannot use that word Ukraine. In 2019, not a single Ukrainian school remained in Crimea. After February 24th, 2022, the beginning of the full-scale invasion, in the territories of Ukraine temporarily occupied by the Russian Federation, Hundreds, if not thousands, of cases of linguistic genocide were recorded, accompanied not only with threats and intimidation, but also by the use of physical force, restrictions of will, kidnapping, torture, and murder. Anything Ukrainian is burned, destroyed, and killed to this day. The fact that Ukrainian managed to survive through all of these acts of genocide and linguistic genocide never cease to amaze me. Ukrainian is one of the most melodic and beautiful languages in the world. It is also known for synonyms. For example, the word to speak has 108 of them. Ukraine has more than 200,000 folk songs, which are still known today, and I can only imagine how many were lost. Being able to speak this language is truly a gift. A Ukrainian poetess, Lina Kostenko, said, Nations don't die from a heart attack. First, their language is taken away. But Ukrainian still exists and is flourishing, and so will Ukraine.
Thank you so much for joining me today. And this is what we need to know about Ukraine this week. <laughs>